Okay, so I must make a confession to begin with. I'm jealous of Jason's pants. I don't know if you've seen Jason's pants. They're really, really nice looking pants. Um, I'll have to edit that from the message. Elaine can't wait. She has to go see. So as I said, um, I'm going to give this one more shot. The Lord uh, put it on my heart to, to do it. And so... Um, I, I have felt the Spirit in these messages. Uh, for me personally, and I've actually heard from a couple of you that God is using these messages to maybe awaken and stir uh, some latent uh, desires within your own heart. So, um, yeah. So we're going to look at this thing one more time. I'm going to call you out one more time about 2017. And that you would radically love, trust, obey, and follow Christ this new year like you never have before. So, what I'm talking about is new ground with God. Not the same old ground that, you and, uh, that you've been walking over for the last, some of you, maybe years. Hopefully not that long. But we're going to break new ground with God in 2017. Proactively, purpose to do that. New uh, new areas of obedience with God. Um, this is what the Lord has been laying on my heart, and I guess it's one reason He's been asking me to preach it. So, we saw last week, if we obey God, what happens? What happens if we obey God? We're good little religious boys and girls. He's so pleased. No, that's not it. If we obey God, John 14.21, what? We get God. He says, I'll disclose Myself to you. I'll manifest Myself to you. I'll show Myself to you in obedience. People always say, Jim, I don't seem to have much of God. Well, I always want to go right to the heart. I say, well, is there a place of disobedience in your life? You get as much of God as you want. We've been saying that a lot. So I'm going to start again with the same C.S. Lewis quote. I know you're tired of hearing it, but I just want to remind you what he said. Once a man follows God, how could he not live forever? Once a man refuses to follow God, what can he do but wither and die? I think that's self-evidently true. If you think about it for 120 seconds, you have to understand that that is true. God has been saying to us in these last four or five weeks, that you, you can have me if you want me. God says, here I am. I think it was Isaiah 65.1. Here I am. This is what He says to mankind. Here I am. The problem is, most men are simply not interested. They're, they're too self-consumed and self-absorbed uh, to, to genuinely pursue God. We saw it two weeks ago. Seek me, seek me, seek me, seek me, and you will find me. This is the Word of God. He never stops saying this in the Scriptures. Last week I also quoted that one of my favorite quotes from Oswald Chambers. He's a 20th century minister from England. And he says this. I want to read it to you one more time. God brings us to the place where He asks us to believe Him and obey Him, but too often we begin to debate with Him. That moment becomes a great crossroads in our lives and we have to decide for God or against God. As I said to you last week, 
Some of you are in that process right now. There's something going on in your life where you are having to actively decide for or against God. You've got some sin in your life. You've got some temptation in your life. You've got some relationship in your life. You've got some habit in your life. And when you walk out this door, tonight or maybe as early as tomorrow, you're going to have to make a decision for God or against God. You'll do it 10,000 times a week, maybe. I don't know. I haven't really thought deeply about how many times we go through that. But you'll do it in a lot of little ways, and you'll do it in some huge ways. Some of you will do it in huge ways in 2017. I shared with you a personal testimony last week about how that happened to me. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, I had to decide for or against God. And he gave me the courage to decide for him. God says, here I am. You decide if you want me or not. You decide if you're going to believe me or not. You decide if you love me enough to obey me in the world or not. God says, it's your decision. I love this about Christianity. You decide. It's up to you. It's up to you. So, I'm continuing to talk about this because... I'm jealous. I'm 62 soon. I'm jealous for what years I have left, right? I don't have many years left as compared to most of you. I'm jealous for those years. Lord, I want to, I want to be a good steward, man. I want to invest in you. Yeah? That's what I want for you. I told you last week, I'm jealous for you. You beautiful young people, right? I only have one peer. That's where he's my age. I only have one peer in the room. The rest of you are these, these beautiful young people. Man, you got these amazing gifts and attributes and uh, abilities and talents and God didn't want you to go out in the world and make much of Jesus with them, right? I'm jealous for you. I want this for you. It's why I think the Lord has me preaching this one more time. You know, in nine weeks we'll celebrate Resurrection Sunday. And so all of this really comes down, 2017 comes down to who you think is on that donkey riding into Jerusalem. Who do you think it is? Who do you really believe that is on that donkey riding in to sacrifice himself? Do you believe he's just a prophet? He's just a good moral teacher? He's simply a good man? Or do you believe he's God? Now, if you believe he's God, <laughs> yeah, that should change everything. It should change every single day for the rest of your life. So I'm asking you at the outset, do you believe? Do you believe? I'm not just talking about mental assent. Satan believes. I remind you of this often. Satan believes. Satan knows Jesus Christ is God. Satan believes every word of uh, scripture. He knows it better than all of us put together. He's a believer in one sense. It's not just about mental assent. It's about, you know, it's not just knowing about Jesus. It's about knowing Jesus. And this is where you always end up. It's always John 10. It's always John 10. It's always John 17. It's about the knowing. It's about the new creature kind of believing. It's not just, again, mental ascent. It's believing in such a way that everything changes, right? 
The old things have passed away. The new things have come. Have you believed like that? Have you believed like that? And will you believe like that in the new year? Okay, in light of what the Bible says about who that is on the donkey, who that is on the cross, who that is in the tomb, who that is ascending, in light of what Scripture says about Him, He says the most breathtaking thing to you and to me. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. If you believe He's God, then you have to be pretty jazzed about what Blessing just read. What does Jesus say to the first men that He encountered as He began His ministry? What does Jesus say to um, John and Andrew and Peter and Philip and Nathaniel here in this passage? Jesus is going to say what? Do you remember? Follow Me! God says this. God says, you can follow Me. Here I am. Do you want Me? You can have Me. God continues to say this in many different ways. Is it true? Someone like Me can walk with someone like that? Can, can that be true? A man of dust walking with eternal God? A man of sin walking with... You know, with, with uh, infinite holiness? Is that true? Is that possible? Can that really happen? Yes! That's what Christ is saying. Christ is saying, come on! Come and see, He says tonight. Come and see! Beloved, this is just, this is just astounding news. And yeah, I know why there's not 10,000 people trying to hear this. We talk about it all the time. Mankind simply isn't interested in knowing their Creator. Jesus Christ says to you and to me tonight, follow me. You know, it's something He always keeps saying. He never stops saying this. Follow me. Follow me. Follow me some more. Oh, follow me some more. Oh, keep following me. He never stops saying it. It's a present imperative. It's in the grammar. He never stops saying it. Keep following me every day. Keep following, following me when the new problem occurs. Keep following me. Follow me. Walk with me. Here I am. I'm God. Walk with me. It's what He says. John 10, My sheep hear My voice. I know them and they follow Me. There it is. If anyone asks you what's the simplest way to describe Christianity, it's always John 10.27. John 10.27. My sheep hear Me. My sheep know Me. I know them and they follow Me. Uh, John expands on this in 1 John 2, 3-5. Listen to this real quick. By this we know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commandments. The one who says, I've come to know Him and does not keep His commandments, he is a liar. The truth is not in him, but whoever keeps His word, in him the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in Him. This is what it looks like to follow Jesus. It's a lifestyle. <laughs> it's every day. 
We're not talking about perfection. We're talking about direction. This is the direction of my life. I'm becoming more and more like Jesus all the time. This is something, this is something I purpose to do. This is something I'm proactively doing. This is something I'm fighting because my flesh wants to do other stuff. I have to fight my own fallen sin nature. I have to deny it if I want to go with Christ. Here's what happens in the true Christian's life. We're not perfect, but we finish. The true Christian finishes, right? We're not perfect. All you have to do is read your Bible and you realize how, how grievous some of the sin of those who proclaim to love and follow God was or were. We're not perfect, but we finish. Let me just read uh, Philippians 3, 12-14. This is from the paraphrase, the message paraphrase. Listen to the, the paraphrase of, of the Apostle Paul's words. Listen to him. When we're talking about perfection as a, 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 in, in conjunction with direction. He says, I'm not saying that I have all this together, that I've made it, but I am well on my way. I'm reaching out for Christ, who has so wondrously reached out for me. Friends, don't get me wrong. By no means do I count myself an expert in all of this, but I've got my eye on the goal where God is beckoning me onward to Jesus. I'm off and running, and I'm never turning back. I love that. This is what I want for you. I want this for me and Karen. Listen, I want this for you. I don't want, listen, I don't want tonight to just be Theoretical, right? I want us to hear what the Lord is saying to us. God says, follow me. We can ignore the invitation, but we really can't misunderstand it. He's saying, walk with me. It's what Christianity is. Christianity is not another heart-dead, brain-dead religion like the rest of them. This is about you knowing me, loving me, walking with me. That's what Christianity is. God hates religious pretense. Even when if it has a Christian label on it, God hates it. All you got to do is read your Old Testament. He hated it in the Old Testament and He hates it in the New Testament. Jesus says, You honor God with your lips, but your hearts are far away from God. In vain do you worship God. Jesus says, I'll have no one who's lukewarm about Me in My church. I will not have it. I will not have it. I will not have it. Okay, I'm going to say something hard here. So, you know, plug your ears if you need to, right? Um, I've often said to people, don't play with Christianity. Either get in or get out, right? Either get all in or just get out. You are storing up wrath for yourself if you are playing a game with God. Let's have some integrity, right? I'll have enough integrity to say this to you because I love you. Because maybe one or two of you, maybe one or two of you need to, you know, get real about it. 
And you have enough integrity to own it for yourself if it's true. And you go home tonight and you get on your face before God and you get right with God. As I often say, life is too short to play games with God. So, are you all in with Christ? Are you His disciple? Are you following Him? So, it just seemed good. This will be my third time, I think, to preach this text. Some of you may have actually heard me preach this text before. It's, uh, it's only been a couple of years, but it's one of my favorite. So, I want you to pay attention. At the end of the message, I'm going to ask you, there will be grades given. I'm going to ask you, how did these five guys do it? How did these five guys do it? These five guys are going to go with Christ. So I want to ask you when we get done, how did they do it? Verse 35 to 40, you heard it read. This is John the Baptist. Uh, Again, John chapter 1. He's standing with two of his disciples. Most conservative theologians believe this is John who writes the gospel, who never refers to himself, uh, which is a good clue. There's another good clue in the text. Most people, uh, conservative theologians, believe this is John and Andrew. It tells us later that Andrew's there. Two of these disciples. And John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God. And they just followed Christ. Verse 37. Verse 38. They are following Jesus, probably from a distance. And Jesus turns to them and says, What do you seek? And they said to Him, Teacher, where are you staying? This is a Really bad question. (laughs) This is a bad question. Um, But what do you say to God (laughs) when He catches you off guard like that? Verse 39, He said to them, Come and see. And they came therefore and they saw where He was staying and they stayed with Him that day for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John the Baptist speak and followed Him was Andrew. The other is John, Simon Peter's brother. Okay, Lamb of God. Obviously, this resonates with any Jew. This is the Exodus Lamb, uh, the, the, the Lamb of the Passover. Every Jew knows what that means. And this is the title that John the Baptist gives to Jesus And these two guys, there's no discussion. There's no question. Bam! They're on Jesus' heels. Don't you love that? Bam! They're just walking with Christ. They don't know what to say to Him, but man, you know, we're going to go with this guy. So, do you see the secret yet? Be hard to see. Just yet. Okay, we'll continue. We put ourselves in John and Andrew's sandals. And I'm sure they don't have a clue what to say to the Lamb of God. So what does Jesus do? They don't know what to say. It's like you sometimes. In your prayer time, you don't know what to say. (laughs) Right? And sometimes you don't need to say anything. I was telling Karen the other day, we've been talking to the young adults about prayer, and I, I meant to say something the other night, and I didn't think about it. You know, it just really sometimes you get so deep there's no words, right? There, you don't have to say words. You don't have to consciously articulate words, right? He already knows! 
the word before it's on your tongue. You know, I love to get to that place, right? I don't have to say it. I know I don't have to say it. He knows I don't need to say it, so I don't say it. It's just like this unspoken thing going on. So, but what does Jesus do? Jesus turns and He says, what do you want? What, what is it? What are you seeking? Right? What are you seeking? It's the question that really I've been asking you for the last four or five weeks. What do you want for 2017? Business as usual or more of God? What do you want? God says you decide. You want me? You can have me. You can have me. It's an amazing, amazing, amazing invitation. But don't you love it? God always starts the conversation. God has never not started the conversation. He started the conversation uh, in, in Genesis 3. He came to Adam and Eve. They were hiding in the bush. He started the conversation, right? He started the conversation with Abraham. He started the conversation with Paul. And if you know Him tonight, He started the conversation with you. This is what He does. It's a beautiful picture. Jesus turns to these men. He says, what do you want? <laughs> Don't you love it? What do you want? What do you seek? We've been talking about it. Jeremiah 29.13. I'll just reference it quickly. God says, You shall seek Me and find Me when you search for Me with all your heart. Jesus responds to every honest heart. Every God-sought seeker who wants to know and be reconciled to their Maker. Who's tired of superficiality. Who's tired of the lie of sin. Who's tired of emptiness and purposelessness. Someone who wants to live. Jesus says, what do you seek? It's certainly not for, you know, this question is certainly not for the benefit of Jesus Christ, is it? The omniscient one, <laughs> right? And they don't know what to say. So they say, well, where are you staying? It's like, are you kidding me? That's what you want to know. <laughs> okay? You want to know, where God's staying? Oh, okay. Well, that's an important question. That's a real important question. What do you think they really wanted to ask? What do you think they really wanted? Here's what they wanted. They wanted everything. It's the same thing you want from God. You want everything. He is everything. I think if they, if they could agenda up the courage, they would have said, we want everything! We want to be forgiven! We want to be reconciled! We want to be changed! We want to be sanctified! We want to be glorified! We want, we want what only You can do, Messiah, Lamb of God! I think if they'd have been honest, that's what they would have said. <laughs> Where are you staying? 
Jesus says, come. And you will see. So I'll ask you, what do you seek from Christ? What are you seeking from the Lord? What do you seek? Jesus says, come and see. You must go with Him. If you want to find out who you're supposed to be. Now, you can keep Him at arm's length and you can play religious games with Him, but you'll never know who you're supposed to be. And you will never know the joy God created for you to have because you will have pushed it away. God means for you to experience ecstasy in your soul through your relationship with Him. Now, you can push all that away if you want, and you can settle for some temporal pleasure. That's up to you. But Jesus says, come and see how awesome I am. Come and see who you're supposed to be. You can go the other way, but that is the way of darkness. You decide. Do you want more darkness in 2017, or do you want God? It's up to you, beloved. It's up to you. Every morning you get up, it's up to you. It's up to you. And did you notice here in verse 39, John tells us, this is one way we know it's John. He tells us what time it is. Who cares? Who cares what time it is? It's the 10th hour. It's 1600. Who cares? You know who cares? John cares. Everything changed for John at 1600 on that afternoon, right? I bet he could tell you where they were standing in the road. I bet he could tell you exactly how Jesus smiled at him. His whole life changed. It's true conversion. This is not, you know, becoming a church member. This is coming into relationship with Christ. And so, he knows. Verse 41 42, you heard the text read. So Andrew goes looking for his brother. He says, hey, we found him. We found the Messiah. Verse 42. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and he said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called, you shall be called Cephas. Now, you know, Peter gets all the ink. We don't know much about Andrew. We only know three things. We see him three times in Scripture. And he's always doing the same thing. What is Andrew doing every time we see him in Scripture? Anybody know? He's always bringing somebody to Christ. Don't you love it? <laughs> Isn't that a life well spent? Apparently he never did anything of any consequence that would be noted in history or even in Scripture, but he's just bringing people to Jesus. Now, you know, that's a big deal to Christ, right? It's a big deal to God. Whether men ever acknowledge your life or not, it doesn't matter in the least. I always tell you all the time, it doesn't matter who you are or what you do. You matter. If you're a Christian, you matter. God will do mighty works through you. He will. Eternities will be changed because you, brought, you bring people to Jesus. You bring people to Jesus. This is what Andrew does. And he says to Peter, now Peter's erratic, he's impulsive, he's kind of an unreliable kind of guy, and Jesus says, you're going to be a rock! 
I mean, right now, he's like a marshmallow, right? He's so pliable. Jesus says, I'll make you a rock. This is what God does in the lives of His people. He takes someone pathetic like me and He turns me into a son, right? Okay, I was an accountant, man. I, I had a little pencil and a little calculator and a pocket protector. You, know, you guys know what that is? And I sit at my desk and this is what I did. And now I preach the Gospel, man. <laughs> I'm just saying. Um, you don't know what God's going to do. You never know what God's going to do. He says, you're the rock. In essence, Jesus renames Him, indicating how Jesus is going to remake Him. This is symbolic of the sovereign authority of Jesus Christ to change the lives of His people. He gives them a new name. Revelation 2.17, a name that no one else knows. It reminds me of the guy with the withered hand in Mark chapter 3. You remember the, Jesus said, stretch it out. Well, He couldn't stretch it out. He didn't know how to stretch it out. Jesus said, do it! And as He began to stretch it out, it began to stretch out. So, God takes what's dormant or dead in you and He brings it to life, right? This is what God does in the lives of His people. So this man, Peter, who ultimately would tremble before a slave girl and deny the Lord three times, he became the man who would preach a fearless sermon at Pentecost and 3,000 would be saved. You say, Jim, I don't have what it takes. That's right, you don't! You never have what it takes! Ever! He's got all you need. Every day you wake up, He's got all you need. You can be a radical Christian. You don't have to be afraid. If you're afraid, that's on you. <laughs> you go out there and you be who you're supposed to be. You go be a son and you go be a daughter. It's what He's called us to, beloved. All you got to do is read the Bible. He turns barren women into mothers. He turns harlots into heroes. He turns whining farmers into valiant warriors. He turns young boys into giant slayers. This is what God does. And He tells this marshmallow named Peter, you will be a rock. You will be a rock. Let me ask you, is it okay if God remakes you? Is it okay? If God, if God remakes you? Is that alright? If God, if God rewrites your resume, is that okay with you? Or are you holding it close to the vest and you've got your life kind of on track and I don't want any, any interruptions right now, God. Just... You know, don't get too personal with me right now. Because I'm in this little box and I like my little box and my box feels good and people like me in my box and I feel comfortable in my box. Don't blow up my box! Listen, let God blow up your box. It's the most fun you will ever have to get out of your box. I used to be an accountant. Hey, there's nothing wrong with being an accountant. I made a good living being an accountant. I'm not throwing off on being an accountant. My point is, <laughs> um, I didn't used to be this guy. That's all I'm saying. I didn't used to be this guy. I was a marshmallow like Peter. 
kind of a boring marshmallow. And I still have my moments. Verse 43, the next day he purposed to go forth into Galilee and he found Philip. And Jesus said to him, follow me. I was listening to John Piper on this text and he said something really cool. He said, you know, follow me is not born of heroism. Obeying that command is not initially born of heroism. There's really never any heroism in it. There's faith in it. He says it's born of need. You need Christ. You gotta have Christ. You better follow Christ. You gotta have Him. You have no hope without Him. You gotta have Him. It's born out of need. Jesus says these intoxicating words to Philip follow me. I have something written in the margin of my Bible here. Something I heard some preacher somewhere say. And I love it. It says, when Jesus says, follow me, He's asking you for the rest of your life. Listen, Christianity is not something I do um, as a part of my life. If it's real, it is your life. I'm sharing with a, someone now. Um, making this distinction. If it's real, He is your life. He is. And that's what He's saying when He says, follow me. So do you get the secret of discipleship yet? Do you get it? We'll continue. Verse 45, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law uh, and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. So he finds uh, Nathanael and he says, We found the Messiah. He goes and he tells, It's what you do. If it's real with you, you're telling people. It's, it's written across your life. You incarnate the truth, but it's also in your words. It's in your deeds and it's in your words. And Nathaniel says, can any good thing come from Nazareth? And Philip said, come and see. That's always there, right? Come and see. You have to get up off the couch, and go and see. Right? Christianity's never passive. It's never passive. You've got to get up and you've got to go see. And if you want God, you've got to go get God. You've got to go obey God at the work, in the family, on the internet, whatever, in the relationship. That's how it works. Come and see, he says. 47-48, Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and he said to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no guile or deceit. Verse 48, Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. So, 
Jesus knows Nathaniel apparently inside and out. Uh, a man in whom there is no guile, meaning deceit. And what is he saying there? I really think he, he's saying, uh, here's an honest man because he's prejudiced. He doesn't believe anything good can come from Nazareth. At least, he's, at least he says what he means, right? He, he, he's not hedging his words. He's saying what he means. He's prejudiced. He's a prejudiced man. I think that may be what is being said there. So how does Jesus know Nathaniel? How does He know him? You guys know, right? How does He know him? He made him. Nathaniel was Christ's idea. Nathaniel was Christ's idea. Christ designed him. Colossians 1.16, I say it to you all the time, for we are created by Jesus Christ and for Jesus Christ. Nathaniel was Jesus' idea. Jesus says, I saw you under the fig tree. Well, nobody could see him under the fig tree. Nathaniel knew nobody could see him under the fig tree. It was his place to hide, his place to pray, his place to be alone. Nobody could see him there. Oh, but God. God saw him there. <laughs> Jesus knows everything. He knows the good and the bad and the ugly about Nathaniel just like he does you, right? He knows every he knows how many hairs are on Nathaniel's head. Jesus said, I saw you there. And Nathaniel kind of flips out, man. He says, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. It's like Jesus says, Oh, you're excited about me seeing you under the tree? He says, you haven't seen anything yet, man. But, it's like, it's like, you know how it is when you're born again. It's like you just know. You know. You know it's Him. You know He's talking. You know what He's saying. You know what it means. You know what you're supposed to do. You just know. <laughs> so, I'm not saying we don't have times of uncertainty that we have to pray through and seek God through. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying, ultimately, we... Just know, Jesus says, Jesus says, verse 50, Oh, because I saw you under the tree, you believe? You will see greater things than this. Amen? <laughs> you know, this is the cool thing about being a Christian. It never stops. It never, it, it, it never stops getting more cool all the time. It never stops. John became a disciple. Andrew became a disciple. Peter became a disciple. Philip became a disciple. Nathaniel became a disciple. So, how did they do it? Anybody? A grade on a curve here. How did they do it? You know the answer, you're just not saying it. So, you know the answer, but you're afraid to say it because you, you think it's not theological enough or it's not complex enough or it's not erudite enough. Which is to say, they believed. They believed. You will walk with Christ this year 
if you believe. If you don't believe, it's just religion. If you believe, you will walk with Him. This is always how it works. You know, you, fool, you can fool me, I can fool you, but you never fool God and you never really fool yourself. Listen, if you're playing religion with God, just stop. Just stop. You're just making Him mad. So, they believed. They believed it was I Am. And I Am said to them, Hey, follow Me. Come and see. Come and see how awesome I Am. Come and see who you're supposed to be. This is the invitation of God. I looked up the word follow in the dictionary. And it says this. A going after. Okay, is this you in 2017? Okay, you. You. Everyone, I'm pointing to every one of you. You. That's right. You too. Over here. And you over here. Here's the dictionary's definition. Going after. To follow. Going after. Pursuing. Obeying. Chasing after. Complying with. Conforming to. Keeping one's attention fixed on. Does it get any more clear than that? Yes, you are invited. You are invited to go with God. I have another thing written in the margin of my Bible in this passage. It's why I like to preach it. It was, wait for it, August 4th, 1997. I'm in Kansas City. I'm sitting on the seminary grounds and I'm talking to God about whether I'm going to enroll or not enroll. As we talked about last... No, it wasn't last week. I was scared to death, but I was there. And I'm talking to God about it. And I said, God, I'm not man enough for this. He says, I know! I've always known that, Jim. He didn't say it because he's too much of a gentleman. I know you're a coward. <laughs> You've always been a coward. <laughs> he says, I'm God enough for you. I'll never forget this. It really changed the trajectory of my life. I said, God, I confess to Him. I'm not man enough to do this and walk with You. He says, I know all about it. I'm God enough. And what I want to say to you tonight, beloved, is that God is enough for you to radically follow, love, obey, trust in 2017. Once a man follows God, how could he not live forever? Once a man refuses to follow God, what can he do but wither and die? Jesus Christ says to you and to me tonight, you decide. You decide. Let's pray. Lord, what a beautiful text. <laughs> what a beautiful text. Thank you for the invitation. I pray you'll give us 
all that we need to accept. I pray that we'll not compromise one more day, that we'll not rationalize one more day, that we will make no more excuses. We will set our face toward the throne of God and we will begin to walk. One foot in front of the other, one day at a time. crying out for Your power and Your presence and Your enabling as we walk through this fallen, judged, rebellious world, this, this place of great darkness, that we would walk through it and bring light, that we would be Your image-bearer. for these few moments. We ask for Your help, Father. You know our frame. Thank You for this invitation. It is truly breathtaking. We give all praise, glory, and honor to the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand and I will dismiss us with a benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance on you and give you peace. The bad news is, I'm done. I'm not going to hammer you anymore about this. Okay, I've hammered you all I'm going to hammer you. I'm pretty sure. But go. Go with God. Don't ever look back. Go with God. Have a great week. God bless.